Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organizations Thrive. Uh, today, I have uh, Todd Churches, all the way from New York. Uh, welcome, Todd. Thank you, Julian. It's so great to be talking to you across the pond. Absolutely. Uh, I love talking to those people across the pond. Uh, many of you, I talk to you, so it's good to have you on today. Um, I'm just going to tell the audience a little bit about you. Um, so you're the CEO and co-founder of Blue, um, Big Blue Gumball. Uh, as a consulting firm specializing in leadership development, public speaking, and executive coaching. Uh, you're also an adjunct professor of leadership at New York University, a lecturer at Columbia University in, in leadership. Uh, you're also the founding partner of Global Institute for Food uh, for Thought Leadership. Uh, you're a TEDx speaker, uh, and you're also the author of the book Visual Leadership, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and in Life, which I am sure we will explore later on, because um, I can see that visually behind you as well. A nice little bookcase of all of your books. Of yes, of your I, have, books. I have a few copies available, yes. <laughs> which is great. I, I, mean, I and, made my own little Barnes & Noble bookstore in my in my office. Here. I, I can see that. I know you like your books. I know yeah. you like your books. You're, you're an avid reader, uh, which is fantastic. Um, but I want to ask you first, before we get into all that, is uh, what do you love about what you do? Um, I mean, I love a lot about what I do. Mainly, my, my personal mission statement is making the world a better place, one leader at a time. And to me, everyone is a leader. So I always start with that premise. So in my workshops, in my NYU class, I'll say to my students, I'll say, just for curiosity, how many people here are leaders by a show of hands? And like people don't know whether to raise their hands. And I say, by the end of today's session, you're all going to be raising your hands when I ask that question because we're going to redefine and reframe what it means to be a leader. So I think that's what makes it fun. It's like leaders are not just CEOs or VPs or whatever. They are all of us. Even if we're just leading our own lives, we need to lead to, in order to succeed. So that's the foundation. And what got me into this is the fact that I had earlier in my career some of the worst bosses who've ever set foot on this planet. So they taught me how not to manage and how not to lead people. And that's what kind of drove me into doing this and reading all these management leadership books saying there's got to be a better way than tyranny and abuse to uh, I couldn't have mentioned an entire career of having bosses like the bosses I had earlier on. So, so you sounded quite unfortunate with your your bosses that you had in the early days, but obviously it was a, a not a misfortune, but a fortunate thing because obviously it propelled you into do what you're doing now, I guess. It really did. Uh, my book is dedicated first to my wife, secondly to my parents, and thirdly to all the horrible bosses without whom my career would not have been possible. So <laughs> I acknowledge them. They've gave, gave, given me some of the best stories. At the time, it wasn't fun. I mean, I laugh about it now, but when mm. you're working in a toxic environment and for abusive bosses, it's not fun at all. So, I, And I worked in the entertainment industry. So first uh, in advertising in New York, which was fine, but then I moved to Hollywood and I worked for... Uh, Columbia Pictures, uh, Disney, CBS, and a couple of other theme park companies. Um, and uh, I just had a track record, a history of having not great bosses. And again, I learned how not to manage and lead from working for them. Excellent. That's brilliant. Um, so let's, I just want to just almost think back to, obviously, the last year has been really interesting for everybody. And, and I think 
if you've been a leader in an organization, it's probably been the most challenging time to try and help navigate yourself, but also your people through these uncertain times. And there's been lots of words like resilience and agility and pivoting, all those factors, which are wonderful. And people have been doing it and some amazing things. And also, I think what's come more to the surface in leadership is that sort of empathetic leadership as well. Now, I'm a view of looking more to the future. I'm more of the optimist. And as Nancy Halpern would always say, she comes up with the problems. I sort of come up more the solution orientated. Hence, we work as a good tag team. Yeah. Um, but if you're a leader now and you're looking to the future and you're looking to try and inspire, because I think people need some inspiration um, and I'm not talking about any sort of political or government side. I'm talking about in organisations where you've had this real tough year. Um, how might we go about that? But also, I guess, what are your reflections on that as well? How we go forward to try and inspire uh, our staff and our teams uh, in this sort of new way, whatever that may be. Yeah, I mean, the reality that we're currently that we have been in for the past year and that we're heading into is a reality none of us has, has ever lived in or experienced before. So I think everyone's just trying to figure it out. Um, some people feel like, oh, we're just going to go back to the way things were. Um, and I say the way things were was a Barbara, Barbara Streisand song. It's not you know reality, right? So uh, things are going to change. Some things are going to go back to the same. Some things are going to never are going to change for all eternity. So or at least for the foreseeable future. So one of the I wrote a blog post not long ago called um, "In a VUCA World," and VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. That's one of those phrases we all use. In a VUCA world, leaders need to do the opposite. So the opposite of volatility is calmness. So leaders need to try to calm things down, right? There's a lot of emotion, anxiety. Uh, my friends Chester Elton and Adrian Gostick just wrote a book called Anxiety at Work, which just came out. So there's a lot of anxiety. So as leaders, how can we create a sense of calm? Like just slow it down, calm it down. In terms of uncertainty, there's so much uncertainty. There's so many unknowns, but what could we be certain about, right? So that's where the certainty So we need some solid foundation we could build on. So establishing, differentiating between what we could be certain about and what will remain uncertain for the foreseeable future. Um, complexity, leaders need to try to simplify things. Things are so overwhelming now and complex that if we can simplify complexity, that's one of the most valuable things that a leader can do. And in terms of ambiguity, we need some clarity, right? There's this fog of uncertainty and this fog, fog of confusion. Anything we could do to clear things so we could see the future or see some possibilities. And like, like you talked about hope and optimism and empathy and compassion, we need to create a culture and a climate that is this new reality that will help to help people perform and to function um, and to focus on their work as opposed to this state of um, treading water that I think a lot of mm. us have been living in for the past year. And how do we sort of I almost get people to lift their gaze a little bit? Because I think, uh, you know, people in organizations have perhaps got a little bit, not just beaten, sort of bad brow beaten, but also just looking down on things and being very short termism. How do we get them to sort of lift their gaze? How do leaders get them to sort of see the bigger picture and start to create that sense of, yes, we're going to go for something now? Still based in reality. I'm not saying, yeah, because, yeah. yeah but how do we do that? Well, what are the ways you've experienced in your your career, but also recently with, with leaders you're talking to? Yeah. Well, I talk about this in my TED Talk that when I throw out the word leadership and I ask my students or workshop participants, what's the first word that comes to mind? Most of them say vision or vision or visionary. So 
what is a vision? It's a picture. It's a picture in our mind's eye. And um, Shakespeare coined the term mind's eye in Hamlet when Hamlet saw the ghost of his father and didn't know if it was an apparition or a figment of his imagination. He said, I think I see my father in my mind's eye. Leaders need to formulate a vision in their mind's eye, but then they need to communicate, articulate and communicate a clear and compelling vision of the future for the people. So um, that's a big part of being a visionary leader or a leadership visionary. And that's a focal point of my book, Visual Leadership, is about how do you get people to see what you're saying? So leaders need to have a picture of the future and then they need to inspire and motivate people and get them on board while still being empathetic and compassionate in terms of the, what people are experiencing and feeling at the moment. So um, it's it's not easy. It's Leaders have a tough task ahead of them. But I think it starts with leaders formulating their own vision, their own picture of what an idealized future state looks like that's different from and better than the current reality and saying, you know, the storm will pass and it may not be clear sailing, but there's a destination. There's something that we're heading towards that's motivating and inspiring for people. So I think that's a key thing that leaders can and, and need to be doing right now. And and, it, and it's, you said that about formulating, a, you know, that sort of compelling vision, um, which it's easily said, but also than, than done, isn't it? In the yeah. sense of, so how do we, how do we, how, you know, if I was a leader right now and you were talking to me and how do I go about sort of getting something that's compelling? Obviously it's got to come from me or, or from the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are the things you've been talking to leaders about in terms of helping them get something? Cause it's all very well having something in your head and then yeah. how you get it out. But if it's not very good, if it's not very compelling yeah. or inspiring, you know, what are the factors they need to think about to make it really inspiring, but also believable, I guess, as well, that sense of, because sometimes if it's so far out there, yeah. it becomes a bit unbelief and therefore a bit delusional, doesn't it? It's that balance, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, the two things that popped into my head as you were talking, one is I always say when I teach presentation skills, Um, on communication skills that everyone has two thought bubbles over their head. It's why should I care and what's in it for me, right? So when people are listening to you, they're they're thinking through the lens or seeing things through the the lens of why should I care? Why is this interesting to me? Why is this valuable to me? And then the other part is how will this benefit for me? So even though if, even if people are not selfish or self-centered, people want to know there's got to be some payoff. There's got to be some pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, right? So, Mm. um, as leaders, we need to connect with people. And there's no, one of the things we were talking about before, in a world of diversity, inclusion, belonging, equity, there's no one-size-fits-all solution for anything or anyone. So we really need to focus on individuals. We need to look at things from multiple perspectives. We need to have diverse leadership teams so we can mm-hmm. view things from multiple lenses. Um, so those are a few of the things to keep in mind, is that we need to also make things tangible, right? So. Smart goals is one of those mantras that, you know, when you set goals, when you have a vision, that's like a big picture, right? But you also need to have tangible metrics and goals to see, are we, you know, are we executing our strategy? Are we moving forward, right? So Mm. with smart goals, you need to make them specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-focused, right? So if you have all those things in place, then you could create a plan that makes people feel, all right, we're inching forward, right? We're making Mm. progress. Um, There's a book called The Progress Principle, which says that people are motivated by making some progress, moving forward, but also getting recognition or acknowledgement for that progress, right? So those are some of the things that leaders need to be thinking about. And it's not easy. It's not, but again, I think you make a good point. This is not some pie-in-the-sky kind of, um, fantasy. This is having clear uh, a vision, a strategy that's that aligns with that vision, and mm. then 
putting in metrics to execute that vision and and achieve those goals. And we talk about vision. Do you think it's the responsibility of perhaps the CEO of that company to come up with it? Or is it something that you work in tandem with your senior team to bring people along and bring that inspiration that creates more revision? The reason I ask, I'm working with an organization where I'm starting to help them create more of a vision sort of statement, mm-hmm. um, but I'm working with a senior team on it. Um, I think the, the senior leader has a sense of an essence of that, but we're trying to build upon it. What's your experience of that? Because I think it's by bringing people in creates that connectivity engagement, doesn't it? Yeah, I believe that totally. Um, one of my favorite quotes that I use in my NYU class when, on session one, when we're establishing the guiding principles for our course is the quote by Dale, Dale Carnegie that he said that people support a world they help create, right? So if people have a, a say in things, if people have a sense of ownership and accountability, they're more likely to be on board and buy in to that vision than if it's, you know, the, the leader, you know, one leader or the, the senior leadership team coming down like Moses with the tablet saying, here's our vision, right? So no, you can't necessarily have put everything to a vote but you want to get people on board and people want to feel heard and people want to feel valued and validated. So I think it should be a conversation. And I think, you know, we haven't mentioned the word culture yet, right? So how, you know, creating a culture of an organization, do you have a culture of inclusion and communication and cooperation or is mm-hmm. it one of hierarchy and, and, you know, rules set from the top? So I think that's a good point is how do you engage people in creating the culture and the vision so that they're more likely to buy into it and feel a sense of ownership and empowerment and accountability. And I guess then, you know, once you've got that, it's this how you then articulate that, how you communicate that. Because, you know, one of the, the key things in, in any organization is or all the failings of an organization is 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 communication. Mm-hmm. You know, people get misinterpretations of things. They get misunderstandings. They get different perspectives or the wrong perspectives. Um, and I think that is quite key. And I, and I work a lot with, with leaders on, on the whole communication piece because I think it's it's quite vital, certainly if you're trying to cast a vision or even strategies or, or anything really is communicating effectively. Um, using the visual aspects of, of visual leadership, what are the sort of, I guess, tools or techniques they can use that would help them communicate, whether that's a vision or even or goals uh, yeah. going forward? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we need to do is with visual leadership is to make, make the abstract concrete, the intangible tangible, and the invisible visible, right? And one of the ways to do that is through the use of what I call visual leadership, um, which is the application of visual thinking and visual communication to the practice of management and leadership. So I break it down to four categories in my book. Um, so basically, it is using um, visual imagery, which is pictures and or drawing. Right, so literally having something that you could show someone and they could look at it and see it through their eyes. Category two is using models and frameworks. So any kind of mental models, we use SWOT diagrams, we use triangles or pyramids or step ladders or whatever, a way of visually or mind maps. A company's organizational chart is a visual representation of the structure, right? So using some kind of visual framework to communicate. Category three is using metaphor and analogy to say this is kind of like that. So using something familiar to explain something unfamiliar. And category four is using storytelling with bonus points for humor if and when appropriate. So when you use (laughs) those categories in combination, it's more powerful. So again, a leader, just to say, oh, didn't you get that memo or didn't you hear me speak at the town hall and that's it. We all know that's not 
gonna stick, right? So how do you get ideas to stick? And one of the ways to do that is um, is through use of use of visual imagery and visual language. And I, I break it down and I talk about this in my TED talk into three reasons: attention, comprehension, and retention. When you use visual language or visual imagery, it captures people's attention and gets them to focus. I, if I show you something, you're looking at it and you're seeing it with your with your eyes. And we're all wired visually. That's just the way our brains are, are, are wired. So that's attention and focus. Comprehension is if you see something, you're more likely to understand it than if you just hear something, right? And thirdly, retention is you're more likely to remember something. And if you can remember it, you're more likely to use it um, if you can remember it, right? So for real life example, so this is the book list from my NYU leadership course. This is the same list, right? So which one is your eye drawn to? Which one are you gonna remember? Which one is gonna stick with you? Which one is gonna make you wanna buy one of those books? Most likely this one, right? Absolutely, so yeah. I use this as one simple example of the power. Um, would you buy something online on eBay or Amazon if there was no picture, just based on the description? Would you link in with someone if they didn't have a headshot, if you don't, never didn't know who they were? So like mm -hmm. if you're reading a blog post, Research has showed that more blog posts are read if there's a visual image that's captivating than if there's no image, right? So again, that's just the way our minds are mm. wired and our brains are wired. So we're just drawn to visuals, to faces. Um, and even if you can't draw, there's a million other ways to communicate visually. So if I'm talking about, you know, curiosity, I may hold this guy up and say, you know, this reminds me, this curious George I keep on my desk remind me to always be curious. Do you have Curious George over in the UK? Is he a familiar character? I never is a new one for me, Todd. Okay, so I never know which which ones cross cultural lines. What about Gumby? Do you guys have Gumby over there? No. Even if you don't have Gumby, Gumby, we need to be flexible and we need to bend over backwards to serve our clients. So really? even if you've never seen this category, so again, you're not going to forget Gumby and you're not going to forget Curious George because they are visual images, they're characters, and they're fun, right? And I just yeah. used a little story. Um, so a seashell, I'm sure you have seashells over there. We My wife gave me this to remind me to slow down and talk slower at a snail's pace, which I never remember to do. So I'll throw that behind me. But I do keep it behind me to try to remind me to do that. So again, the power of visuals, right? I did a whole workshop on leading in the age of COVID. And it's like this microscopic thing has caused so much havoc in our lives, right? But what's the the emotional reaction just from seeing this image it's like right so again the power of imagery is so pervasive that leaders may not be leveraging it as much as they could and they should and it's interesting you did some wonderful examples there and i think um we know it's true because we, we're all visually seeing screens and tapping into things and mm -hmm. we know it's we're doing it but we it's that as always anything is a habit and creating those positive habits and positive ways of behaviors i should say um but to stop and think and i guess when we're presenting information or communicating it, it, we have to be more strategic don't we and it's almost thinking about our audience in in the end game and what will be appropriate i mean you talked about the your four models imagery models metaphors and storytelling um and looking at aspects which will be appropriate to um how we communicate that isn't it yeah, you just mentioned, you just said stop and think. And in my book, my book actually opens with a cartoon. I'm looking to to find it here. That's uh, basically, I'll describe it visually without even showing it to you. There's a big billboard that says stop and think. And it's two guys standing in front of it. And one says to the other, kind of makes you stop and think, doesn't it? 
So it's like, that's exactly what we have to do, right? We need to stop yeah. and we need to think. We need to think, is this the best way to get this message across? Is this clear? Is this compelling? Um, we need to see things. What, I just want to mention two concepts from my book. One is, if you notice on the book cover, it's a rainbow colored eye. Now, no yeah. one in the world has this colored eye. So that represents the fact that no one in the world sees the world exactly as you do. And leaders need to realize that. It may be crystal clear to you, but you're looking at it from a different lens, right? So we need to realize, again, thinking diversity, inclusion, belonging, um, everyone's going to look at things through a different lens. So you need to be able to look at things with empathy and compassion and try to, what I call, flip the eye and see things from other people's point of view. Mm. Also, the rainbow color represents diversity, inclusion, but also creativity and innovation in the fact that we need to use all the colors in the crayon box or in our markers. And I, you know, I have this on my desk all the time when I'm teaching people to draw into color. Um, you know, we need to use all the colors of the rainbow to be creative and innovative and get our ideas out there. So if we use, you know, if you do something, how many people are still using black and white bullet point text on PowerPoint slides and then just reading off them line by line by line? It's like, you know, PowerPoint wasn't invented to be a torture device. It was invented to be a communication tool, right? So yet, so many people are doing it. So why aren't we using more visual imagery? Why aren't we using more metaphors? Why aren't we using mm. fewer words and more ideas? I mean, the, the phrase, a picture is worth a thousand words, is, uh, you know, is common in, in all cultures for a reason, right? Because it's true. Even Napoleon said a good sketch is better than a long speech. So, and, you know, so pictures worth a thousand words goes back to Confucian times. So again, if we can leverage imagery and visual language more often, um, we could be more effective than uh, using words or numbers alone as many managers and leaders do. No, and I think that's a real good thing to do is that stop and think and start to yeah. think about what am I communicating, whom am I communicating, and what is the best way of getting this across, this yeah. message. Um, just a thought and a question for you, really. How do you know you've, you, your message has landed, particularly to a larger audience? Uh, what sort of things could you do to ensure that that's happened? So I was asking everybody specifically what they heard, but yeah. how would you know in that? So what, what, what ways can you, techniques that could understand that my message has been landed here? They've understood what I want. Yeah, I and mean, when I'm teaching presentation skills, I, I always talk about what do you want people, you know, beginning with the end in mind, which is Stephen Covey's habit number two, right? Um, what do you want people at the end of your messaging to, whether it's an email a conversation or a presentation, what do you want them to think, feel, know, and most importantly, do when you're done? What is your call to action, right? So I think the true test is, you know, one, do people understand understand what you're saying? Is there some kind of feedback loop that will tell you that they do understand? But I think it's really about action, right? Leaders, you know, we're, we're trying to turn ideas into actions and actions into results. So I think it's ultimately the results. That's the test. It's like, you can have a vision, you can have a strategy, you can put all these plans in place, but if you don't hit your target, meet your goals, or make that vision a reality, then your message may not have landed as effectively as, as you had hoped. So it may have been communicated beautifully, but I think the true test is in the execution. And I think that applies also to like working from home, which we haven't even talked about yet, but it's like you know, managers who, who want their people at their keyboard, at their desk from nine to five every day, and are measuring you as if you're punching a time clock, that's a different approach than leading and empowering people and saying, as long as you get these re results, as long as you achieve our objectives, I don't care if you do it at midnight, two in the morning. I don't care if you're doing it at the beach. But just, you know, let's agree on the goals and the objectives and let's get it done. So it's like, are you, I think leaders need to empower people more and build trust. We haven't even mentioned the word trust yet, but do we trust people and have we, are we trustworthy? Um, 
our, our words and our actions and alignment. So I think ultimately that's a great question that you posed, but I think it is ultimately about actions and results, right? So words are great, but they're only meaningful and impactful if uh, you know, you're changing the world, changing lives and actually achieving something. And and you mentioned remote working there, and again, it's it's more challenging to be a bit more. I mean, you you were extremely visual there with all your little um, <laughs> yeah. sort of uh, toys and stuff there. Uh, how again remotely? Again, what, what what's your advice, and what what have you seen that really works uh, with leaders when they're trying to do perhaps town hall presentations? Um, not I know I'm not just talking presentation sort of slides here. I'm talking other things they could do. What sort of things have you seen or have given advice about? Yeah, I think leaders. First of all, you need to be authentic and transparent and true and clear. Like if you're presenting, if you're pre pretending as if everything's fine and normal, I think when you share with some of your own struggles with your people, that humanizes you. That makes you vulnerable. We're all in this together. Um, one of the sayings, and I, I wrote down um, who, do I have who, who said, oh, this guy, Damien Barr, wrote a blog post that he said, we're all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. Because sometimes people say, oh, we're all in the same boat. We're all going through the same thing. We're not. We're all in the same storm, but some people are in the yacht and other people are in a sinking rowboat, right? Mm -hmm. So I think leaders need to realize that, you know, some of their people, they may not have good Wi-Fi. They may have their kids at home. Um, they may have pets on their lap or aging parents that they're taking care of. So I think leaders need to, with people working from home, need to be more empathetic and compassionate and mm -hmm. understanding. Um, I'm a big Elvis Costello fan, so I've been playing Peace, Love, and Understanding almost every single day. So it's like, that's like, I think that's the great theme song. It's like, we, you know, peace, we want to calm things down and get along and try to minimize conflict. Love, you know, love and compassion and empathy and understanding. We need to try to see things from other people's point of view, knowing that they're going through you know, everyone's going through different experiences. So I think if leaders come across that way, people mm. will trust them. They will connect with them. Um, they will, you know, jump through hoops for them. But I think if a leader is in an ivory tower and dictating down from on high, I think that's where you're really going to get a lot of disengaged people. And I think we were talking about a little bit about this before, the fact that what well, I'm calling the September shuffle. So no one can steal that title. I'm going to write that blog post. <laughs> I think in September, I think people are going to try to enjoy this summer after this really stressful year. And I think in September, when people are ordered back to school, back to work, I mm -hmm. think a lot of people are going to be like, I got used to this. I've shown I can work from home or I'm not, I don't want to commute two hours a day anymore or, you know, new opportunities may open up. So I think there's going to be a lot of uh, even more VUCA than I think it's going to be a hyper VUCA um, come <laughs> September and leaders are going to need to navigate that. Because, uh, again, there's no playbook. With all these books on my shelf behind me, there's not one. There's a couple no. of new books that just came out about how do you manage and lead remote teams. But there's no playbook for what we're experiencing right now. No, and I agree, with, I agree with you. And going forward, it's going to be even more difficult. Uh, yeah. People thought last year was difficult, but that was slightly forced. And we had to make those decisions now. There's a little bit more of a flexibility going on in terms of yeah. as things open up and as people start to realize they've got a voice as well. Um, yeah. So what would be the things to think about as a leader now if you're you know, a leading organization and you're thinking September and you call it the September shuffle um, and people start to come back and perhaps people are thinking back to the office. Uh, what are the considerations a leader should have right now? Yeah, I think it's going to be a test of our agility and flexibility and being able to see things and not to say no so quickly and say, you mm. know, 
let, let's say you order people back to work and some people like, you know what, they've shown they could work from home and maybe you have them come in on Mondays and Fridays, but they could work from home Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or just, you know, find some kind of combination that works for people. And I think that's where HR people need to be more strategic partners and to help drive mm -hmm. this. I teach leadership and team building in the human resources master's program at NYU. And mm -hmm. that's one of the topics was always, you know, how do you make HR relevant in today's age, right? You know, so we're not, HR is not just the company police or the, comp, the, the benefits people. HR people need to step up as not only strategic partners, but strategic leaders and help the C-suite to navigate this. Because it comes down to talent, because if we start losing people that we've invested in um, and they walk out the door to a competitor or decide because their working needs are not being met, they'll say, I'll work for myself or, or go work for a competitor, um, I think it's going to be a test of our of leaders' flexibility to kind of engage people. They still need to hit their numbers and please their stakeholders, but mm. it's I think um, it's not going to it's going to be more complex than ever before. But I think that's what we need to listen more. I think we haven't yeah. talked about listening yet, but you know, empathy and compassion starts with listening, um, and again, seeing flipping the eye and seeing things from other people's point of view mm. and finding some kind of new solutions that maybe we haven't thought about before. So, like my former company, which is now my client. For years, the CEO was anti people working from home. They were such a progressive company, but he was just against it. He's, I want the water cooler conversations. I want everyone here in the office. We won't work as well. But then once we had to, they showed that they did, right? So we've proven otherwise. But what happens when you have a hybrid, you know, you're having a meeting and it's very easy to forget that people are at home and not include them in the meeting mm -hmm. or, you know, there's time zone issues and differences. So there's a lot of complexity that I think leaders need to do scenarios. So things that they could do right now is scenario planning, envisioning mm -hmm. possibilities, planning if-then scenarios for different situations. Mm -hmm. And again, you don't have to solve all these. Ask people, right? If you say you don't have to come down with all the solutions, you could pose that question to your people and say, well, yeah, here's the objectives that we need to meet. Let's talk about how we could do yeah. this while still accommodating people's needs. So again, you can't always make everyone happy, but you at least have to have these conversations and mm. go with an open mind. No, I agree with you. I think it's that engagement with uh, your organization, with your employees and having those uh, really meaningful conversations. Yeah. Uh, I think for me, this 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 next phase or what do you want to call it, is all about this agility and being uh, sort of flexible uh, in how we operate. Yeah. Uh, no one size fits all and that sense of uh, yeah, listening and work and working it through and looking actually for the solutions that might not be right in front of you might be another way of looking at it is yeah. definitely yeah. um i thoroughly enjoyed um my um watching you with all your um, <laughs> props that's brilliant uh you're probably the most entertaining guest i've had so far oh, that's um, nice of you. And quite, and quite memorable with i didn't get all the books on the, on that book list but i certainly remember the one oh we've got some more here i didn't even mention this one the fact that we need to ex open our minds to new possibilities to create space to explore the future of Perfect. work and we keep our minds closed uh we're not going to be successful so i'll close out with this prop that i that's brilliant todd i really appreciate that and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it so um how can people get in touch with you and where can people get this uh book uh, visual sure. Uh, visual leadership is available on Amazon all over the world and other bookstores. Uh, the best way to reach me is through LinkedIn because I live on LinkedIn. Um, so feel free to link in with me. Just tell me you saw me on Julian's show and, uh, and we'll connect. And also visit my website, toddchurches.com, where you can actually download a PDF of my top visual leadership books, uh, my top 52. 
Um, I'm a big business book addict, as you can tell from my library behind me. I read an I've been reading an average of one business book a week for 22 years, since 1998. So that's <laughs> over. I didn't major in math, but it's well over a thousand. So, um, but if you want my list of top 52 to help you be a better visual leader, in addition to my book, uh, you can just download the PDF from my from my website. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Todd. Really appreciated it. Thanks for having me, Julian. It's been great. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.